good to be back with you. Um, if you d- didn't know, last, last Sunday we were at Light of Truth. I preached at Light of Truth for their, they had a Pastor's Appreciation Sunday. So um, it was really good. It was a good experience, good to be with a different church. But I said, there's just nothing like being at home. There's just nothing that quite compares to that. <clears throat> and on the same note, um, this morning Marcus is preaching at Gospel Haven. So that's where Marcus and Narita are at. I think the choir is maybe singing, um, the Zalakan choir is maybe singing at Gospel Haven, and then he's preaching and giving a presentation um, <clears throat> at Gospel Haven. So, as you all know by now, next Sunday we have ordination, or ordination, we did that. <laughs> See where my mind is just spinning? Communion. Next Sunday we have communion. So I'm looking forward to that, but, and I was thinking about communion and what, what, do we, what can I share today in relation to communion. We often talk about preparing our hearts for communion, which is good. We should examine ourselves, examine our lives. I was like, you know what, that's not something we should do just twice a year. That's something we should be doing every day of our lives. That's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we should be doing. Um, <clears throat> So along with communion, and I wonder, I've often wondered, and I've said this before, that why we only have communion twice a year. Um, so we're actually proposing that next year we do it, we have communion quarterly. So that would mean our next communion, we'd have a communion in January, and then again um, around Easter. So you'll hear, you'll hear more of that coming. So regarding the questions that, that Wayne gave or read to you this morning, so the follow-up, so then January when we have communion, the idea would be you would meet with the same person that you're going to be meeting with next Sunday, and we will have a series of follow-up questions to this, just a way of connecting and interacting and, and speaking into each other's lives. So I'm looking forward to that. Give us some feedback on that then, because... We like to see, what, I mean, is it working or not? But we'll never know if something different is okay, if something different works, if we never try it. So that's kind of the plan. But in thinking about communion and in preparing our hearts, I think it's important for us to remember that God is not looking for perfection in us, but he's looking for brokenness. And so as I, as I process through that, I send out a text to the, the other pastors this week asking if, if, if this is an accurate statement, and they claimed it was, so this is become, it's kind of the premise for my sermon. Jesus saved you not so that you could become perfect, but that you would be made whole. You see, there's a difference there between being made perfect and being made whole. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 18. This is actually some of the same, some of the same stuff that I covered, preached last Sunday, I'm um, using the same text <clears throat> with maybe a little bit different spin on a few of the points. But Luke 18 gives us an account of the blind beggar, whose name was Bartimaeus, who had this encounter with Jesus. And there's one verse that I want to draw your attention to, and then we'll, we'll work our way down through the story. But before we come into this part in Luke 18, that account, the account that we're going to look at, takes place in verse 35 to 43. But if you back up earlier in chapter 18, there's a parable that Jesus gives, and he speaks of the, 
the Pharisee who was in the temple praying, and you remember his prayer, how he thanked God that I'm not like all these other people and I'm not a sinner like this guy standing over here in the corner. And then he talks about the tax collector or this guy who sees himself as a sinner and his prayer was so simple. It was simply, God have mercy on me a sinner. And then if you look at some of the next accounts, the rich young ruler in chapter 18, the blind beggar Zacchaeus, it's almost as if these are the people from this parable being actual accounts of the parable that Jesus spoke of when the rich man and Lazarus. I'll try to be conscious of the time. I'll try to hurry through this um, as well as I can um, just because of the sake of time. But if you're in Luke 18, I want to start reading in verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So in verse 42, Jesus tells him, your faith has made you well. Now I want you to, that word, made you well, if you have the King James Version, it will tell you, your faith has saved you. And just for a reference, it's the same word that's used in many places in the New Testament. Back in verse 26 of chapter 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples about how hard difficult it is for a rich man to be saved, and they asked, who then can be saved? It's the exact same word that is used over here where it says, he recovered his sight and he was made well. And the idea of that word is that he was made whole. So I don't think that Jesus only, Jesus didn't only heal his physical condition. He healed his spiritual condition. He was made whole in that process. I, th- I think if you look at through the miracles that Jesus did, it was always with the intent of making the person whole, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And we'll look at that in just um, a little bit. <clears throat> so what, what does it mean to be made whole? That's kind of, I, wanna, I want you to think about that. What, if you take something and make it whole, what does that mean? What does that look like? The worship team led us in a beautiful song, that last one, To the River, which is such a beautiful song because at that river we find wholeness. Do you want to give me the first slide, Jamie? This is, I, I thought of this when I thought of being made whole. Has anyone ever heard of Kintsuki? Seriously? So there's a few. Okay. So it's, and I'll show you some pictures. It's, it's a Japanese art form that takes something that it made is, and makes it whole. And the word literally means gold joinery. Go to the next one, Jamie. And I'll show you what Kintsuki looks like. 
So over here is that pot broken and shattered into all these different pieces. And it takes it and it makes it whole. That is whole. But notice it's whole, but it does not look like it did originally. Because it was broken and then someone took it and made it whole. You can go to the next one, just show another picture of what Kintsuki is. And you can look this up. It's, you can find all kinds of information on it. And I'll come back and I'll, I want to touch on that in a, little bit, a little bit later. But I would suggest to us this morning that to be made whole means that first we need to be broken. We need to be broken people. So look at, let's look just really briefly at who this blind guy was. This is Bartimaeus. Mark, I think it's in Mark 10, would tell us it's Bartimaeus. And he's sitting outside the gate. <clears throat> so for a blind man, for a guy in his condition to be blind, it was not only a physical condition in that he couldn't see, he lived in a world of darkness, but there was also a stigma that went with it. John 9 gives an account of, the, of a blind man, and the disciples asked Jesus about this blind man. They said, why is he blind? Did he sin, or did his parents sin? So in somewhere in their minds that because this guy had a physical issue, a physical problem of blindness, that there is a, there, it was associated with sin, and therefore he becomes a spiritual outcast, a, people, a person that people do not want to associate with, he becomes, and because he's blind, he becomes a beggar sitting beside the street at the mercy of the people who are passing by. That's his only means of livelihood. It's the only means of feeding himself. His dignity is gone. He's been stripped of his identity and his value as, as, as a human being. And every morning he would go out and find his spot and he would sit there and beg. <clears throat> But I wonder, so he had his, his issue of blindness, but I wonder if the ache that hurt the most, that no amount of food or money or anything that um, could actually bring a cure for, the only, the biggest ache in his life was the ache of being unwanted, unloved, and outcast, thrown out, of very little value, seen as without purpose in life and in society. But I want you to think about this. Those are all things that were completely out of his control. He had no control over his blood, the fact that he was blind. He didn't make himself an outcast. The people around him, you notice the people's response to him when he cried out for mercy from Jesus? They were like, shut up. Stop making a scene. Get back. He doesn't have time for people like you. That shows you the kind of treatment that he got, the rejection that he dealt with. And I wonder, how often do we have that same kind of pain, that same kind of rejection, that same kind of hurt and issues in our own lives? Maybe we're not very so much like Bartimaeus. Think about your life. I don't, I don't know what all of your stories are. I know my story and your stories are different, but God has given each of us a story, and I believe that they're all filled with pieces of pain and rejection at times. 
Children were told that maybe we're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. We have peers in our lives that tell us that, or teachers, whatever it may be. Perhaps you were the victim of someone's gossip, and it tore down your reputation. You experienced the loss of a loved one. Perhaps at a very untimely, uh, an untimely death, a young person, or someone was ripped out of your grasp. Maybe you lost your career. Maybe you lost a job. We experience disappointments in relationships. We experience disappointments in church. Life is filled with this, these kinds of things. And sometimes, usually, if it's me anyway, I have a part to play in that. But often, we have pain in our lives that was inflicted by someone else. It's not something that I could control, but that pain comes. So then the question becomes, what do we do with it? What do we do with the pain, the rejection, the disappointment? What do we do with it? We can choose to ignore it. That would be kind of like Bartimaeus refusing to believe or acknowledge that he was actually blind. It's like, well, duh. I mean, it's so obvious it's right there. Why would you try to deny it? And yet... I often live that way. I try to deny and act like, ah, oh, it's all, it's fine, it's fine. Isn't that a powerful saying? Powerful saying. Overkilled saying. It's fine, everything's fine. Everyone, someone asks you how you're doing, it's fine, I'm fine. But we experience that because it's life. Living in a fallen world, that's part of our lives. So the choices that we have to make, we can either live as wounded people or we can live as broken people. And I'll, I'll show you a little bit of a difference here um, in a moment. But think of, I was thought of Johnny Erickson Tata's life. Most of you probably know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. <clears throat> Lives her life in a wheelchair. God didn't, chose not to heal her. She was never healed. But you talk about a life that a person who is broken before God, and God has used her life in amazing ways. Her story is so so powerful, but because she takes her brokenness to God. So think, think of this. This is, um, I think it was back in 98, 1998, Deeper Life Ministries, um, this was in their newsletter, and I've had copies of this for years already, and it's so good for me when I, when I realize that there's pain in my life, there's, there's hurts in my life, what do I do with it? And am I living out of a broken or a wounded mindset? So here's this. This is borrowed from the, from Deeper Life Ministries from their from that newsletter. A wounded person lives with a negative mindset. You're, a person is often preoccupied with their past injuries. They love to see or make help people notice their hurts, the things that they've gone through. Or they have what, we, what you could call a victim reasoning. They view themselves as a sufferer, kind of a really living with a poor me. Look what I've had to endure. Grievance mannerisms, look at the, with our body language. Our body language sometimes is just, oh, did you see what I had to go through? I mean, we don't say it, but our body language says, poor me, guilty, you know? Sometimes we do that. Or... 
We get angry and we blame other people. We blame other people for the pain in our lives. And maybe there is, there are other people who have hurt us. But if we live in a wounded state, we simply blame others and we take no responsibility for ourselves. But if we want to be made whole, as Bartimaeus was, if we want to be made whole, as Bartimaeus was, and I'm suggesting to us that Bartimaeus was a broken person because of how he responded. So a broken person versus a wounded person. broken person says they take ownership of anything they've done wrong. They acknowledge their own wrong in their life. They're contrite in heart. They, it produces genuine sorrow. They're humble. Their self-will has been absolutely shattered. Okay? That's so important. And they seek after God based on, and this is one of my points that we learned from the beggar, they, they seek after God on a basis of mercy, not merit. Huge difference there. A broken person is teachable. He's done with self and says, God, teach me. And a broken person is un- knows he's unworthy, and so he does not demand. <clears throat> so how, does that, how is that actually lived out in this broken, or this beggar's life, Bartimaeus' life? So three things that I want, you, want us to just quickly point out. And I'll just, I'll just touch on these just for the sake of time. But three things that I want you to notice in Bartimaeus' life is that a broken person, and you see this in verse 37 of 39, a broken person is persistent in their coming to Christ, in their coming to Jesus. Have you guys ever prayed and felt like you just hit a wall and God's silent? Pray and you pray, you cry out and you cry out, and it is met with silence. Bartimaeus was, not only was he met at first with silence, Jesus didn't respond And I don't know, was he not close enough? But for whatever reason, Jesus here physically didn't respond. But he also had people telling him, stop making a scene. Just be quiet. But he would not, because he knew his own brokenness, he would not be stopped. He would not be quiet. He continued his cry for mercy. He was incredibly persistent because he knew the only one who could actually bring wholeness to his life was passing by. And he was not going to let this opportunity pass by. Notice what it says in verse 40. It says, Jesus stopped and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, yeah, let me just stop there. Commanded him to be brought near. Sometimes we respond, I'm afraid, or I do, the way the people did to the broken people around me. Because when someone is truly broken, it can be really, really uncomfortable. If you sit with a person who's broken before God, it can be really uncomfortable. I don't know if that's why the people told him to be quiet, but what Jesus wants from us, sometimes, some, let me say this, sometimes we are the person, we are Bartimaeus beside the road who is completely broken, and we need someone to come take our hand And just bring us to Jesus. The only one who can make you whole. And at other times, you will be the person who Jesus says, bring him to me. And you take the person's hand and you bring him to Jesus. 
Stop trying to fix people. We have to stop trying to fix each other. Our call is simply to take a person's hand and bring him to Jesus. A person in in their brokenness, rarely, if ever, is that journey taken alone. When we are broken and we're coming to Jesus, we always need someone in our lives to walk with us. But we need to be persistent in our prayers. And the second one I already mentioned briefly is broken people come to Jesus on the basis of mercy, not merit. Bartimaeus pleads for mercy. His only prayer is for mercy. Do you notice, if, if he would be maybe like we are sometimes, he would say, look, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've done. I go to church every Sunday. I'm a good person. I don't live in sin. I don't do all this other stuff. I deserve to be given another chance. Do you ever notice how often we use the, the word you deserve this or I deserve this. Advertisers use it because they know it works. It makes you feel like you're entitled to something. That's the Pharisee's prayer in way back in verse, um, the Pharisee that prays, he prays twice a day and he does all this stuff. But notice the prayer of the broken person. It is simply a cry for mercy. Nothing else. Just a cry for mercy. If you go back in chapter 17, again, the lepers, the ten lepers that came to Jesus, they had one prayer, one cry for mercy. The tax collector praying in the, in the synagogue, his cry was for mercy. Bartimaeus' prayer, a cry for mercy. I think it's Michael Card says this is, he calls it the perfect prayer. It needs nothing more. We need to stop we're too spiritually, I, I, I think I wrote this, I did write this in my notes because it, it hits me. We're too religiously smart to actually say things like, oh, I go to church every Sunday, I deserve this, or God, you owe me because I did this. But I notice in my, my own life, we love to slip in things just in a conversation. Things like, oh yeah, like so last year I read through the Bible twice, or I prayed for 45 minutes. Or whatever. We, we, just, we don't outright say it, but we still love to slip those things in because we want to be recognized that we've done something good. And a broken person, Jesus just says, stop. Just come. Just cry for mercy. That's it. Stop coming on the basis of your own merit. quote from Larry Kaufman, and I don't know where I found this, um, says, I have found that people connect far more with our brokenness than our perceived strengths. Think of that. That is something that becomes attractive to the world around us looking for a Savior is when we as God's people live our lives as broken people in need of God's mercy, not because we have something powerful to offer in and of ourselves. And then lastly is a broken person verbalizes their need. And I think this is actually really, really important. <clears throat> Notice when Jesus comes to him, or he is brought to Jesus, Jesus asks him, what can I do for you? That's a powerful, powerful question. Jesus asks you, what would you have me do for you? What would you have me to do for you? 
Now, Bartimaeus could have said, well, it should be pretty obvious, right? I'm blind. I want to see. So why does Jesus... I, I just think there's so much power when we actually verbalize what we need from Jesus rather than just coming with generic terms, saying and naming what I need before Jesus. And a broken person has nothing to hide anymore. And we can simply name the brokenness, the, the pain, the rejection that we felt. Put words to it. And I think that is so key in breaking the power. Freedom comes when we bring, verbalize and bring it to light. And it, it comes to light when we give voice to it. Years ago, <clears throat> this is just a, a little sliver of my story. Deal, uh, as, a, as a man dealing with a lot of shame in my life. And I'll never forget having people with me taking my hand and bringing me to Jesus. And then coming to a place of brokenness before Jesus and naming what was going on deep within my heart. And the freedom that came from that, absolutely incredible, is so, so powerful. It, that radically changed my life. It changed how I view things. It changed, yeah, totally changed my life. And there was a piece of me that was made whole. And by the way, being made whole is probably something that we need every day of our lives. It's not something that is just a once and done. It's bringing our brokenness to Jesus. So let me just, let me just summarize those four, four points, actually, because the first one I kind of ran over is we need to be broken people. Third thing is we need to, broken people are bold, they're persistent in their coming to Jesus. Broken people appeal to Jesus on their basis of mercy, not merit, and broken people verbalize their need. And if we come to Jesus broken, there's one promise that's there. You will be made whole. You want to go to the next slide, Jamie? <clears throat> that one right there. Um, thank you. One thing that I want us, to, just in closing, to notice with kintsuki, with this form of art, there's lots of, I'm, I read a number of different places of how it actually originated, where it got its start. But it was something along the lines of there was a special piece of pottery, a, a mug or something, um, that was owned by this person and it was broken. And so he sent it off somewhere to get it fixed. And the hope was to get this thing fixed back to its, and put back to its original condition. And it came back, and it was not satisfactory. It was, there was no way to take... If you ever tried to take a broken piece of glass or pottery or something, and try to piece it back together, make it look like it was never broken, you can't. It's impossible. And so he sent it off to another craftsman who did something like this with that piece of pottery. And two things that you'll notice with broken pottery and kintsuki are the exact same things that happen in our own lives. This is not meant to hide the brokenness. Do you notice that? The broken, shattered pieces 
put together are actually what make the piece beautiful. It gives it, it's, it's not in its original form, it's not as it was as when it was brand new, but it was broken, it was shattered, and it was put back together, not trying to hide the scars, not trying to hide the pain, the brokenness in our lives. That's what Jesus does in our lives, right there. That's what He does in our lives. And the second thing that this does is, what do you think of when you, when you see that? You see the beauty of it, but what else does it do? It points to something, to someone. Someone Someone had to put that together. That didn't just happen. Notice what happened in Bartimaeus' life. In verse 43, it says, When he began glorifying God, and when the people saw it, they began to give glory and praise to God. That is exactly what happens when we are broken before God and we allow Jesus to come in and to piece together the brokenness of our lives, the shattered pieces, and he makes something beautiful, and it draws people to Jesus, not to us. It draws people to Jesus. May that be our story. Let's pray. I invite you to stand. Stand with me. God, this morning, 